Today's show is sponsored by Usage AI. Usage AI is for companies trying to rein in their AWS EC2 spend. Usage AI is the only cloud cost platform that automatically applies the cost savings recommendations they provide you, netting you up to 57% off your EC2 spend. No code change, no downtime, and no engineering work required. Usage AI's automated reserved instance manager automatically buys and sells three-year, no upfront reserved instances on your behalf to maximize your coverage and minimize your compute spend. Bundled with a buyback guarantee, Usage AI allows companies to get all of the savings of reserved instances with none of the long-term commitments. They are contractually obligated to buy back your reserved instances at any time. Sign up in as few as five minutes to join companies like Deal, Kick, and FabFitFun by visiting usage.ai slash cloudcast to get started today. That's usage.ai slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as we hit record on this, it is the beginning of February. It is hard to believe it's February already. Uh, for those of you that are going through the winter months, certainly wish everyone the best. Hope everyone is staying warm and making it through the winter season. Now, as we move into Cloud News of the Week, uh, actually what I'm going to do this week is um, maybe do a little bit less than normal, but go into them maybe in a little bit more detail than usual. And our first Cloud News of the Week, and of course, link is in the show notes, but Jason Lemkin uh, has a really, really fascinating Twitter thread. And first of all, we are getting to the point now we're getting more and more in Cloud News of the Week where Twitter threads are becoming the source these days. But uh, what he did is he pulled together some research on top 20 public SaaS companies and some findings uh, with all of them. And I really like the way he did this. Uh, you know, basically slicing and dicing the data from a lot of these companies and coming up with some trends in the models, but also some very unique things and, and insights into building SaaS as well. So I'll, I'll give you a couple, for instance, here. Asana. 60% of Asana customers still come from self-service. Only 40% come from sales. And, and so it is interesting that the more they grow, they're up to 400 million or so in ARR, but still 60% of that is self-service. And that is a trend we're seeing more and more with a lot of these uh, SaaS companies. Datadog, 80% of data, excuse me, Datadog's revenue and they're up to 1.2 billion, by the way, actually comes from large customers, 100,000 plus. It used to be, when the company first started, only 80%, excuse me, that 80% was from smaller customers. So that's one that kind of got flipped on its head a little bit. Um, Expensify. Expensify started off with just a free edition, and even at IPO 60% was free edition, but they still have managed to convert that into 150 million plus ARR. Now, one other to look at that's really interesting. I'm gonna I'm just scrolling down in the thread here because it is 20 some replies long. Um, MongoDB. 
MongoDB, 25,000 customers, well over 25,000 customers, 23,000 self-served. Only 2,800 went through a sales team. And they don't necessarily push annual contracts either. So what's nice here is you're seeing really, really good growth, but not necessarily through the engagement of, say, an enterprise sales model like we sometimes have seen in the past. Others might be going, um, for instance, Zoom. The vast majority of their customers still, as big as they are, still pay on a monthly basis. So uh, again, good product providing value and customers are continuing to renew. So it's less and less about locking uh, customers into those longer, say, annual or sometimes even two-year or three-year contracts and more about just getting folks to renew month after month and building a business through a freemium model or building a a business through a pay-as-you-go self-service model and then building the business up to millions, if not billions, at times as well. And if I move on to our second story, Sysdig. Sysdig has a really good, uh, the 2022 Cloud Native Security and Usage Report. Um, And this is their fourth year uh, in a row doing this, by the way, but some really, really good findings in there. In a nutshell, though, one thing that was interesting to me is maybe not a surprise, but there is a lot of organizations running vulnerabilities uh, out there in production. Now, we're starting to find them earlier as this shift left is starting to happen, this trend towards scanning earlier, uh, looking for vulnerabilities earlier. Maybe it's in the repositories, maybe it's in the CI, CD pipeline, but the really, really good customers are going from that 85% or or so to 5% or less. Another one that they found in there was less security-related and more cost-related. The amount of customers running containers with no memory limits and no CPU limits has gone up drastically as well. So um, that is something else that is definitely worth digging into in the report. And it goes on for a good bit. Really, really fascinating read. Uh, Really good at kind of catching what is going on for um, containers and more specifically container security as well and the trends uh, in the last 12 months or so. And with that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. And coming up right after the break, we have Tim Banks, Principal Cloud Economist from the Duckbill Group, talking about understanding and managing committed cloud spend. You know the drill. You're falling asleep and you're awakened by an emergency page. It's your night on call and something's wrong. The good news is you've got new Relic, so you can quickly run down the instant checklist and find the problem. The lambdas seem good, but something's up in the APM. Dig deeper and there's another set of errors in Kubernetes. Ask the team to roll back and the problem's solved. That's the power of combining 16 different monitoring products into one platform, so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. You can pinpoint issues down to the line of code and resolve it quickly. That's why dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you're at a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. 
The next late night call is just waiting to happen. So get New Relic before it does. You can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gig of data free forever with no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash cloudcast. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, as, as many of you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while or just living in our industry, the last couple of years have been very interesting uh, in terms of you know how we've been evolving uh, using the cloud. Obviously, COVID has had a, a big impact on uh, you know not only how we work, where we work, but also you know we've seen an acceleration uh, of a number of companies you know using the cloud in more ways. Obviously, we've seen the revenue of the cloud providers going up over the last couple of years uh, across the board. Um, and you know one of the things that that we've always sort of had as a mantra is is around following the money. Um, you know, how trends are changing, what's going on. And one of the things that we thought was interesting to sort of dig into, um, because we're seeing more and more announcements about this is, is how people are, are buying uh, services from the cloud, how they're paying for them, how they're consuming them. We kind of wanted to dive into uh, kind of this idea of of committed spend, sort of longer term contracts, which obviously is a, a change from where the cloud began, where everything was was everything on demand. And so one of the things we like to do, obviously, is when we dive into the economics of cloud is to, to go to the experts and really excited to have Tim Banks, who is principal cloud economist at the Duckbill Group, uh, one of the folks that we always go to. Um, we want to dive into this stuff. So, Tim, really excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being here with us today. Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Good to be here. <laughs> we are. Uh, we've, we've. I've screwed up a couple of times. We're going to get this thing right. So here we go. Um, you have a, a really interesting background. Um, you know, we always like folks who've kind of crossed over uh, things. You've got a really interesting background of of having been very technical and very hands on at, at early stages of your career, and and now much more business focused. Give us a little bit of, of that background and, and kind of you know what are the areas you're now focused on at, at Duckbill Group. Sure. So I've I've started off in more definitely more of an operations background, starting from, you know from being a system administrator on commercial Unix systems to um, to going through and being more like um, you know standard kind of tech support help desk. Uh, I, you know I went through um, you know a, a burnout phase where I did uh, uh, became like a general contractor and a chef, um, only to come back into smaller startups in Unix where I uh, definitely still stayed more on the operations side. Um, systems architecture, systems engineering, uh, database uh, architecture, uh, database admin, um, moving into DevOps and then SRE. Um, and I transitioned from engineering to more of a, a consultant style role uh, when I came out to Amazon as a TAM. Um, and then I spent TAM, was a TAM at a couple of different companies, uh, then as a principal solutions architect, and then now a principal cloud economist at the Duckbill Group. And as a principal cloud economist, I still largely focus on engineering aspects. A lot, a lot of my cost optimization, um, uh, you know, finds are are within the architecture and within the engineering practices, um, and then less so as the, um, you know, in the spreadsheets and the bill. Um, you know, I kind of like to organize. You know, what what are the things that we need engineering effort to optimize, and what are the things we don't need an engineering effort to optimize? So, right. um, I definitely deep dive more into the engineering side. Yeah. And, and I think we find a lot is, um, you know, in order to make sense of this stuff, you, yes, you need some financial acumen, you need to understand the numbers and so, but, but yeah, I mean, you, you have to understand what are the context of what people are trying to do, understand their architectures, understand their engineering. So yeah, it makes, makes sense that, uh, you've been, you've been able to sort of make that transition. Um, I want to talk about this trend of, uh, you know, committed spend, uh, EDAs, long-term contracts. 
what's 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 driving this? You know, you get a chance to, to talk to a lot of companies. Um, you know, obviously the, the cloud started off as sort of on demand. It was very much, you know, people going, well, we don't love what our IT groups can do for us. Um, on demand gives us a lot of flexibility for experimentation, shorter term projects, or just, you know, whatever. But, you know, we're seeing more, more and more companies talk about, hey, I made a a 10-year commitment to Google or a five-year commitment to AWS at, you know, $100 million or a billion dollars. Like, what's what do you think is driving that, um, you know, from where we were five years ago? So there's a there's a few reasons. I mean, when, when the, you know, you had the promise of the cloud when it first came out that, you know, utility-style billing is going to be le- much less <clears throat> expensive. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you're only going to pay for what you use. And, and the consumption model, um, you know, maybe, you know, if you're small enough, but when you become a larger company, uh, you want more predictable spend. You don't want it to be unpredictable, especially as your MBA finance folks start getting, you know, hold of your books and, you know, just saying, well, we don't know what we're going to spend. We're just going to bill you for it after the fact. It doesn't make anybody comfortable. Right. Um, and so the notion of having, even, even though you do have an on-demand, having more of a, uh, uh, of a capex style expenditure versus an opex style expenditure, it's um, it's much more predictable, um, you know. So so that's an appeal for the companies. You know, the notion that you would get a discount for a commitment is also very appealing, um, especially some of these discounts can be can be you know substantial, um, depending on how much you're willing to commit. And companies that know that we're going to be here for a while, um, it makes it makes a lot of business sense for them to have these commitments. Um, especially when they're trying to, you know, do investment calls and things like that. And they're trying to, uh, model their spend and do unit economics with these costs, having a predictable kind of, we know we're going to spend at least this much, um, helps them out a lot. That said, right. Uh, it also kind of hurts them sometimes because some companies will go through and they'll make this big discount thing and then they'll go to do cost optimization after the fact. Um, and you can only cost optimize so much. Because you can't you can't cost optimize below your commitment because you're going to owe them that money anyways. Right. Yeah. You get um, yourself in sort of a chicken and egg situation. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And and how do you you know how do how do companies obviously uh, I, I can imagine you know if I was AWS or Azure or Google like I can imagine sort of how they start to come about this where they go look um, you know we we'd love to sort of commit you to things we'd sort of you know love to to lock you into a spend and and so forth but how do how do companies sort of size out how big of a commitment they should make is it you know do they are we looking at well let's look at the last couple of years of what you spent plus you know some expected growth or do you know do you see people sort of going well we're in the banking industry we've seen five others committed a billion dollars we should probably like how does that process tend to tend to work out between the the cloud provider and the and the customer themselves come into you know some agreement of what even what the the number should be for the commit so it's very rare that they will use other customer data to kind of figure it out because in the end, even though somebody's in the same industry, almost invariably their 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 use cases and architecture are completely different, um, or different enough that that modeling out of someone else's spend doesn't really matter. Um, so the cloud providers themselves have great AI recommendations typically on what your what they think your spend will be based on usually the last six months. Um, you know, so you can take those, and they'll 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 usually offer you some terms mm-hmm. uh, based on what they think they will be, and and they're pretty good, right? 
Um, but the things that they won't understand or they don't won't have insight into are, do you have any MA activities coming up? Are you going to have a major project or initiative? Are you launching new products? Are you moving into new regions to do things? Um, so those business needs and those, those business changes that you have, you have to factor into those, you know, if you acquire a startup or if you're planning on acquiring a startup and you know what their spend is, you're going to have to factor that in, you know, do you know, are you going to retire some data centers and do migrations into the cloud? Or, um, do you, are you going to start moving away from doing instantiated stuff and start moving, you know, into microservices and what's that going to do for your spend? So these are all things you have to factor in and it can be fairly complex. Sure. If you're somewhat monolithic, right, and, and you're not, you're in a very stable site in your architecture, you can usually base it based on your last six months of growth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you factor in, like, what are my annual spends? Like, I know every year I spend, you know, 12 months of, of reservations, I buy those. Or I know that I pay for a snowflake or something like that, you know, quarterly or whatever that is. Like, you can factor all those in. But if you're not doing a lot of changes, you usually have a good idea of where your growth is going to be in six months. If you if you look at the at the pre you know in in, in a, at least over the next year, if you look at your past six months, um, and you always want to um, you always want to undercommit sure. for those things. You take that I'm going to undercommit. That way you have some wiggle room, right? And the the real trick of it is being aggressive enough in your commit that you can um, that you can get a good discount, but not so aggressive that you you know really lock yourself into to really having to push a lot of spend out right right yeah and, and that's the yeah that's the, the the sort of thing of of any sort of like pre-commitments versus you know versus discounts and and there's not a perfect number but yeah hopefully hopefully you you have a really good understanding of where your business is going and obviously that becomes harder if i'm if i'm doing a two or three year commitment okay i probably have a pretty good idea if i'm doing five or longer um you know some things could could get fairly significantly you know could change quite a bit so let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of of when these these contracts go into place what are what are the mechanics that that you see happen you know once it's in place so if i if a company makes a commitment for you know 3 years or 5 years or something um you know is it do you find that companies, um, you know, feel like they they have to be more aggressive, a little more aggressive, because they're like, "Hey, I, I need to spend down that money. It's sort of use it or lose it." Do you see, do you see behaviors changing? I mean, or is it just typically kind of, "Hey, once a year, um, you know, the, the parties get back together and, and they're sort of looking at it." And I mean, is there renegotiation that happens at periodic stages? I'm, I'm kind of I'm curious what happens beyond just the announcement that somebody says, yeah, we signed up for $500 million of spend. I mean, that renegotiation can happen, happen often, usually does, especially, especially if they're smart about their commit and they let themselves some wiggle room. Um, if their spend goes up based on that commit, the, they're going to want to renegotiate. And, the, you know, you usually look like, you know, if you're, if, you know, the, the general guidance is if you're 12 months in and you've already met 18 months of commit or two years of commit, you'd absolutely should renegotiate, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but sometimes you meet a shortfall, like something happening, like, okay, we need to renegotiate down or whatever. Um, but usually, especially on those long commits, just like, you know, we did like seven years at a hundred million dollars, you know, or $500 million, something like that by year three, they're, they're renegotiating, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, I, I always thought the announcement was very interesting like I don't know that I would announce those things, and I I wonder like, you know, if it's like an investment kind of thing, you know, it, you know, there's there's a business aspect to that, right? Um, but but the only for me, it's one of those things where like if you announce these terms, um, you know, for me, you're tipping your hand 
And and I don't necessarily always like to do that. So if it was me, I don't know how that would announce terms. But I do think it does make sense from a business strategy. Like, hey, we're going all in on cloud, and this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Um, there are some things that I have seen uh, in there where it's like it 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 makes like like uh, maybe giving an announcement. Like I said, tips your hands to your competitors. And I've also seen times where you know, especially if you're going to try to do an IPO or you're trying to make yourself attractive to be acquired, where it makes sense to do those kinds of announcements. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting specifically on M&A because it's like if you sign a commitment and then you're looking to be acquired, you have to remember that you're the company that's acquiring you is also buying that commitment. Right. Right. <laughs> and if you happen to be running on GCP and the acquirer is running on AWS, now you get into some interesting, very you know, interesting. technology stuff. Yeah. And, and you're right. And I can I can see the pros and cons of the announcements. I mean, I can see it, uh, you know, if you're a if you're a startup and you want to signal to the market like we expect to be around for a while. Um, I could see it if you are a, you know, let's say you're perceived to be like an, an old sort of stodgy bank and you're saying, hey, we're committing to the cloud. Like maybe it's going to drive your ability to recruit new talent and all, you know, but like you said, it also, it does sort of tip your hand uh, about about what you're doing or, or you know, potentially leave you a little more, a little less flexibility on stuff. Um Beyond just the, you know, so let's say it's, uh, you know, what, whatever the amount of money is, what, do, what else do you see happen? So like if, for example, um, you know, some software company, I'll, I'll just use, I don't know, somebody like VMware, for example, as an exa- uh, as a, just an example, it doesn't have to really matter. But, you know, within any company's portfolio, they have a whole bunch of technologies they're typically selling, right? And AWS is no different and Google's no different. Do you find that once that sort of umbrella contract is in place, do you still find like, do the sort of individual services or lines of business, are they still pushing hard to sort of, you know, get their piece of the pie or a bigger piece of that chunk? Or does that not tend to happen as the cloud, you know, does an AWS just sort of go, yeah, as long as you're eating from our trough, we don't really care if you're using, uh, you know, the database service or the compute service or, you know, whatever service, like, how does that tension sort of work itself out within, you know, groups within the vendor, the cloud provider, and, you know, the customer themselves. So the individual service teams always want more revenue. Sure. Always. Always makes them look good. And so they're always willing to, if you're willing to commit to them, you can even get private private pricing agreements on a specific service on top of your discount, right? So I have an overall cross-service discount, like 15%, you'll say. Um, but you have, you know, 25% discount on EC2 on demand, right? Because of what you're going to use, or you have a negotiated price for S3 or a negotiated price for network transfer or whatever it is. Um, you know, and especially if you're willing to, you know, it, it doesn't, and that's completely separate from your EDP. You can have a private pricing agreement that goes anytime. Uh, and I've seen companies that have like, Hey, we're going to launch this new product and we know we're going to use this service a lot. So we want to get a uh, private pricing agreement on this service and they'll be happy to do that. Um, but that's a, it's a separate agreement and it's a, it's a commitment. Like you have to commit to using it for a certain amount, but um, that competition within not, I really wouldn't really call it competition, but that vying for, for revenue is a thing that happens definitely within the services of AWS, which is why they have service specific discounts and service specific credits. And they're more than more than happy to, if you expressed interest in a service to have, you know, the business development manager or the principal architect for that service to come and talk to you to help you adopt it more. Um, and, and that's one of the really good things I, I like about AWS is like, if you so interested in the service, they will bend over backwards to get you to use it. Um, you know, but, but at the same time, because for them, it's like, oh, it's more commit. 
Yeah. You know, that's, that's more money for us. And, and, and I like that. It's not, it is, it is, like I said, it's not necessarily a, a competition because uh, they're not like, you know, you know, RDS isn't like how oh, we're going to screw with the EC2 team by, by taking these stuff. Right? It's not a matter because still everything still runs on EC2 when you come down to it in the end. Right. So, uh, well, um, it, it, I mean, at the end of the day, like an individual group still, you know, more or less has a business target to make for revenue. That's going to impact how many engineers they get. So obviously, you know, exactly. you, want, you want as many people as possible to use your service. Yeah, I was just I was curious about that granularity because I know from having worked at, at various software companies in the past, sometimes you get into situations where, um, you know, all the groups want to sell to some company and yet one group might be going, well, you know, we're, we're really trying to, to be aggressive in what we do. And other groups are going, yeah, but if you give 75% discount, then I'm going to have to do it. And I don't, you know, so it's, it's, I'm, it's interesting to sort of hear you talk about the, the service groups had, have flexibility within that. Um, you know, into that, that bigger picture of, of what the, the pricing looks like. Yeah. And, and I, I like the way that it kind of works because again, you know, you can negotiate all these things as part of an EDP or separately later on. So you have that flexibility um, and you can renegotiate an EDP to include those things because it will change your commit. Um, and they're more than willing, more than happy to do that too. So, cause you know, if you now are getting a discount on this service, well, it may affect what your overall spend is, and that's fine. And you can just use this, hey, we, we did this, so we want to wrap this in, or maybe adjust our growth number for the next year based on this, but we're you know increasing our spend on this service. Yeah. Have you, have you seen any instances yet where, obviously, the, the cloud providers are competitive within themselves, you know, amongst each other? Have you found uh, companies are, are buying out other people, you know, so a, a Google buying out an, AD, an AWS EDP from from other customers yet? Has, you know, has it gotten that much or, you know, not not yet? So what it ends up looking like is one cloud provider will provide discounts and credits to make up for the difference that they're going to have to that they'll that they'll use up, you know, by switching. Um, so if they're off their commit, you know, let's say they're, they're short, you know, five million dollars, right? you know, the company will give them sufficient discount and credits to make up for that $5 million, right? Okay. Um, not always, but usually they're going to do that pretty close because they want you to come over. They're almost always it's going to be in the discount. The problem that you have and that I've seen is that they'll offer that and then you go back to the other cloud provider and we're like, well, they're offering this and then they're going to undercut them again. They're undercut the other one. Um, and it's a great negotiation tactic, especially when it comes time to renegotiate that EDP. Um but, you know, it's not just going to be like that because, you know, they'll let you walk away sometimes. So you have to, you know, if you go to one cloud provider, they'll be like, you know, okay, well, we'll give you a better discount than the other folks will, but you're going to have to commit for longer. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. I mean, they got, they're, they're running a business. They're not, uh, they're not in mm-hmm. for to be non-profitable. Um, have you seen scenarios in which, uh, you know, companies are, you know, falling below their, their, their commit, their expectation and like oh, yeah. what, what happens there? Is it, do they... Do they start asking for additional resources to help them, you know, augment their ability to, you know, migrate stuff out of the data center or what, what tends to happen? Cause I, I can imagine on one hand, you know, if I'm a cloud provider, you're going, well, I'm going to get the money anyways, but, but you don't necessarily want to put a bad taste in their mouth. How, how does, you know, what, what have you seen happen in those scenarios? I mean, it depends on the nature and reason why they fall short. Like, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of companies literally just their revenue went away. Right. right. Um, and, you know, AWS renegotiated a lot of those contracts because they knew there was nothing, you know, there's nothing they can do about yeah, that, right? right? So they're happy to renegotiate those contracts, you know, get rid of penalties or stuff like that, or just, you know, extend them 
and 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 send them through at least getting through the pandemic and then you know ramping it up that way uh, many times you can roll that commit over if you know but you want to negotiate that within the contract um so you can roll that commit over to the next year um if it's a little short on one year um but yeah i've seen companies where at the very end in order to make that commit they're just you know going through the vendor marketplace and just buying everything they can you know yeah. to to make up for it um but like i said it depends on on how far you are how far you're off and the reason why you do it um i know that uh, you know i worked with a company where they divested uh, a section of their company to to spin up to their own to to its own company um and that because of that they fell short on their edp and uh AWS, you know, let them renegotiate because of that. And it wasn't, and it wasn't like AWS lost the income. It was just split off to a different account because mm-hmm. the other, because co- the other new companies still use AWS. So they were, they were like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And, and you mentioned people buying stuff out of the marketplace. Um, you know, obviously we're seeing some number of, of new services. So it could be a, a Snowflake or a, you know, MongoDB Atlas or something that, you know, runs on top of AWS, but yet isn't, you know, probably going to be in their main account how, how does stuff like that come into the picture like can can those services somehow be offset or like how do, do people go like well you know i really want to be using uh, uh you know confluent cloud or something in aws but you know like how, how do how does that whole kind of ecosystem work together especially if the customer goes i have this big commit to you but i don't love the service that you have i like this other one that happens to run on aws do they like how, how does that tend to work out so nine times out of ten, those services that run on AWS can be purchased through the AWS marketplace. Okay. Uh, and if you do it in the marketplace, fifty percent of that, but on the average, not every time, and sometimes you can get a little more. But I think the standard is that fifty percent of whatever you send in the marketplace will count towards your commit, right? Okay. Uh, so you do get some of that back. Um, so you know, if you do MongoDB Atlas or you do Elastic Cloud or you do Snowflake or whatever it is, um, and you spend a million, like five hundred thousand of that will will go towards your commit. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and you can negotiate some of those things. Now, the problem that happens is that if you already have an account with them, like say you're using Snowflake and then you want to try with Marketplace, you know, sometimes that account manager is going to try and cut you deals and terms that's going to make it more lucrative for you to keep buying it directly from them versus in the Marketplace. Right. Um, and that's going to depend on the company and what the business needs and what those motivations are. But that's something you want to be cognizant of because sometimes maybe it may end up being more lucrative from an overall business stance to stay with them and just negotiate a better deal um, with the vendor directly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. I want to ask you one last question. I want to be conscious of your time before we wrap up. Um, You know, you mentioned at the beginning that, that sometimes you find that, uh, you know, companies, you know, buy these sort of, uh, you know, big EDPs and make a big commitment and, and then you're like, well, there's, there's only so much you can do. What are some of the things that you guys recommend to people? Is it, is it sort of optimized before you make the, the commit? Or what are some of the tips and tricks that you have as, as you look at what, what DuckBill does versus, you know, in kind of the context of these, these big commitments? We always recommend that you optimize before you commit, right? Because if you commit, right, it minimizes your ability to optimize. Um, because again, you can't, you know, companies will do a commitment and then be like, okay, cool. You know, it wasn't a huge commitment, but we saved like, you know, we saved like 8%, maybe 10%. Right. Mm-hmm. But then if they'd optimized, they would have saved 20%. Yeah. Now they can't save 20%. Right. Cause then they're, they're throwing the money away at that <laughs> point. Right. Um, and so we always recommend that you at least try and, you know, optimize at least the big points you're spending. Like, okay, if, 
if I'm running a lot of RDS, let me try and optimize RDS before I do that. You know, let me try and optimize like, you know, my hundred thousand dollars a month of CloudWatch or whatever that is before you commit, you know, do something right before you commit, just, just to make sure your commit is, uh, is going to be an, a reachable number. Um, but still leaves you room to, 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 you know, cause in the end you want to spend as little as you have to. Sure. Yeah, um, that makes and, sense. and if you can, if you can do that just by optimization, then you don't need to commit, right. And you, you can, you know, or commit for more realistic number, but you know, you just want to save 20% of your bill. If you save 20% of your bill without having to sign a contract, great. If it involves signing a contract, if you optimize for 10% and then say sign a contract for 10%, that's still the same, you know, but you, you don't want to just throw all your hopes into the commitment. Right. Um, and then not do anything on your own. Yeah. Well, and it makes, it makes total sense. It's like you said, if, if most of the time they're, uh, they're coming to you with a commit number that's based on the last six months. If your last six months, you know, haven't been, you know, terribly efficient. Um, yeah, you're going to, you're going to inevitably, you know, start from a big number. And then, um, you know, unless you, unless you really know that you've maybe you've like, you've been sandbagging and you're like, oh, we haven't really been using it that much, but we're going to, you know, we're going to use the cloud a whole lot more. Maybe mm-hmm. that discount works, but like you said, um, there's probably other ways to, to get, get the same thing. So, yeah. Well, very, yeah, go ahead. No, I say yeah, and it's definitely worth a look. At least you know you want to have a good you want you want to have run a good evaluation of what your practices are before you commit to anything. It's just it's sure. you know it's it's just good business wisdom, um, because like I said, looking after the fact, it's like well, we can only discount for so much, so, right. and and th- those are the things that I've seen companies do that where they sign a commitment, and I was like, oh, look, you could save this, this, and this, and this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and like, but now you can't, right, right, exactly. <laughs> Listen, uh, I want to thank you for the time today. It's been really insightful for us. We've we've learned quite a bit. Um, if folks want to to reach out to you, reach out to the Duckbill Group. What's uh, what's some of the best ways to go about doing that? Um, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at El Chefe E L C H E F E Duckbill Group. Uh, you can reach out to us a number of ways, but probably best way is just go to our site DuckbillGroup.com, um, or you can look for us on Twitter at uh, at Duckbill Group. Very good, good stuff. And uh, your uh, your the the head man over there, Corey, is is pretty well known in the industry. So if you haven't seen his stuff, uh, both on the on the very intelligent and very snarky side, uh, you're missing out. So, Tim, thanks so much for the time today. Really appreciate it, um, folks. As always, we wanna we wanna thank Tim for his time. Um, wanna thank all of you for listening to the show each week, telling a friend, helping us grow. Uh, we had another month uh, here in January that uh, largest month we've had in terms of listeners. So, thanks to everybody who listens. Thanks to everybody who tells a friend and, and everybody who gives us feedback on all the ways that you uh, you rate your podcast and so forth. So with that, we're going to wrap up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 